Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. As you remain standing, I want to teach a little while today from 1 Peter 3.15. Thank you, singers and musicians. Bible says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Amen. Lord bless you. You may be seated today. There's something been on my heart, and I probably will speak more on it to our church body, but um, I'm going to start it today, and I've preached on this several times past few years, but when something is not preached, it's not adhered. And so it falls upon me to continually preach things that I have preached before. It's how we make sure that uh, fences stay in place. We're going to talk about standards for a little while. Why, Why do I preach standards? Because the Bible says follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. It could be that this particular subject is one of the most debated topics across our movement. And some would say that they stand on the right, and some would say many that they're on the left, and everybody thinks they're right. But this truth It doesn't go to the right. It doesn't go to the left. Truth is truth. Now, I do understand that pastors have their own guidelines for their own leadership and and different, I I get all that, and I do the same thing. But there there are fences that have to be in place. There are things that have to be there. You can view principles One of two ways. You can view them as a rule or a standard. Okay? We don't do things because they're rules. But we do have standards. Let me tell you the standard that we're measuring ourselves by is Jesus Christ. We're not looking to other people. I've heard people say, well, they do this. Well, are you measuring yourself against them to make it to heaven or against him to make it to heaven? Because if you're using people, you'll bounce all over the map. You won't, you won't have a solid standard because you're going to find somebody that, that I, I, know, I know one guy who his pastor passed away. And he had prayed through under that pastor and he thought he was God near about. And when that pastor passed away, he has spent years going from church to church. And you know what he's told me? This pastor's so much like brother so-and-so. He's looking for a pastor that he had. And he'll never find the pastor that he had. But the Lord is the same every church he goes to. If you're looking to man, you're always going to find a flaw. But if you keep your eyes on Jesus Christ, you'll never find a flaw. Standards. A rule indicates that something is mandated. A standard indicates something is possible. Something is achievable. God is not some angry tyrant trying to enforce his will upon us. That would make him a ruler. 
but God has always had a standard or a level of conduct and appearance. Have you ever considered this? Christians say that they serve a holy God. Their lives are governed by a holy Bible. They want to spend eternity in a holy heaven and they are filled with the Holy Spirit, but it's almost off limits to someone to talk about holiness in church. But if you're going to do all of those things that require holy, why would you not want holiness? Why would you want to just do it your way? Society is not fulfilling the words of Isaiah. It's, it's, it's now, uh, excuse me, Verse 20, 21, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. This is where we're at today. Society is matching up with the words of Isaiah in chapter 5 and verse 20. One man once said, a holy life is not just a dress code or a list of rules. A holy life is not legalism, Phariseeism, or bondage. In fact, a holy life is abundantly attractive to anyone who is sick and tired of sin and sincerely hungry for God. What's amazing to me is you have someone who has lived in the world, has seen all the world has to offer, and it couldn't fulfill what their heart longed for. And they come into the church and they get the Holy Ghost and they fall in love with Jesus and they'll do anything to please the Lord. But then you've got people that's never really lived in the world, raised in the church, and they're looking at Egypt, thinking of how attractive it is. And they'll slowly want to start looking like Egypt. Slowly start acting like Egypt. You know what? They haven't tasted what that other person's tasted. They haven't been out there and seen how to leave someone so destitute. Friend, we ought not look like people that are coming to God. We gotta stop worrying about winning debates with people from from with people who walked away from truth. Bible says don't cast your pearl before swines. There are people who are not living this truth who sincerely desire to live for God. They just backslid and they come back to God. They're tender to the Lord. But then there's those who are so adamant they're not going to walk in this way and it don't matter who argues with them. All they want to do is try to win an argument. That's casting your pearl before swine. They don't want to come back. They want to prove to you why you're caught up in false doctrine. We got to stop worrying about what other people are doing. We got to worry about being saved ourselves. Holiness is not about being judgmental. That's it. How, think about this. There'd be so much less stress in people's lives if they only worried about themselves living for God. Instead, they want to worry what other people are doing. God didn't call you to save other people as far as holiness. You can only live for God yourself, your family, your home. You can't govern somebody else's home. God didn't want to put that responsibility on you, that weight on you. Holiness is not about being judgmental. Well, we wear our, we wear our sleeves three quarters and they wear theirs half to the elbow. Who cares? Who cares? You missed the whole point of holiness. It's not about scorecards. It's about a heart to please God. If you get too judgmental with holiness, your critical attitude is worse than what they're wearing. And I have seen people that had it all right on the outside, but they had a critical spirit, a judgmental spirit that was worse than what other people were wearing. 
a lifestyle of holiness is God's expectation for his people. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy. Amen. A lifestyle of holiness affects every area of your life. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, and the very God of peace sanctify you holy. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. A lifestyle of holiness is supposed to make us stand out. You know, if you look at the world, the world does not apologize for being worldly. They'll wear the most outlandish clothing, piercings everywhere, tattoos everywhere, color, the hair color, a variety. You just go to a public setting and you can write a book on what you see. It's out there. The world is not ashamed to be worldly. But why is the church ashamed to be holy? So we've got people that are trying to walk the fine line between Israel and Egypt. They're looking to the world for all sorts of affirmation. God never designed or desired the church to be like the world, but rather to stand out in the midst of ungodliness. That's why Peter said you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let me tell you, if you're ashamed of him, he'll be ashamed of you. Remember what I'm fixing to tell you. Holiness is not about perfection. It's about progress. God knows that nobody on this earth is going to be perfect. It's not, it's not achievable. But it's about progress, becoming more like him. Does God love you just the way you are? Absolutely. But he doesn't want you to stay like you are. He wants you to mature. He wants you to grow. He wants you to change. As you grow, you'll begin to act, think, talk like he would. If you look, uh, my father was adopted. And you look at adopted children, over time they take on the nature of their parents even though it was not their biological child. It's because they grew and became like their father, like their mother, like their parents. People will think they look like them, they speak like them, they no longer resemble where they came from, but it's because they became what they were around. If you're not around God in fellowship and in communion, how can you become like him? If you're not in his word, how can you know how he thinks, what he likes, what he, what he dislikes? Holiness is not a dress issue. It's a maturity issue. If newborn babes are growing in Christ, We've got a lot of mercy. Just like you have mercy with your two-year-old who's learning how to behave. But you don't expect your 20-year-old to act like your two-year-old. The difference is maturity. The 20-year-old's supposed to know better. The 20-year-old's not supposed to act like the two-year-old. It's the same principles with Christians. Someone who's been serving God for 20 years should not be acting like someone who's been serving God for two years. There's things as a pastor you expect someone who's new to struggle with, but not someone who's been living for God for 20 years. Some things they ought to have understood. Amen? God has always had a standard. 
you look at Exodus 28 and 2, and thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother, for glory and for beauty. He continues throughout chapter 28, giving the standard for the garments. Holy garments have a standard. Holy garments. Now, if it's worldly garments, you can do whatever you want. But holy garments have a standard. Holiness is external and it's internal. Both make up holiness. You can be right on the outside, wrong on the inside. We've got to have standards. In Exodus 19, God instructs Moses to not let the people touch the mountain. He says, and thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, take heed to yourselves, that you go not up in the mount or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall surely be put to death. You don't put guardrails in dangerous places. You put guardrails in safe places, hoping of avoiding the dangerous places. If you study out people who fall at these tourist attractions, in fact, there was, I just read of one recently. If, if this is the edge of the mountain, they don't come all the way to the edge and then put that guardrail. They come a little bit of ways from the edge because they know that there's going to be somebody thinks that they're going to, it's not going to affect them. And all these people who die on the edge of these mountains, these tourist attractions I've been reading about, they stepped over the guardrail. It's not that there wasn't one there. It's just they didn't think it would affect them like it did. And they want to capture themselves in a selfie thinking that three feet would make a difference in the picture. It made a difference in their life. It was the three foot was the decision of their eternity. And so as a pastor, I don't I don't put I don't put guardrails in the dangerous places because there's going to be people that think they're mature enough to handle it. You got to put them in safe places. And my old pastor told me years and years ago, don't you tear down a fence before you find out why it was there in the first place. If that's good in the physical, it's good in the spiritual. Each year, three to five people fall at the Grand Canyon. That's not bad considering they average 12 million people a year. But the one thing that they all have in common is that they all got too close to the edge thinking that it wouldn't affect them. We've got to understand that standards are not for your confinement. They're for your safety. It's all in how you look at it. It's not rules of an occult to hold people captive. Nobody's making you be here. Nobody's making you live for God. You're here of your own free will. Can come in and come out. It's not an occult. But standards are there for your safety, for the safety of your children, for your protection. And when mama and daddy start bucking against standards, don't be shocked when children start bucking against standards. What one generation tolerates, the next generation will embrace. And I'm worried because I see on the horizon things that used to be off limits. And now as one generation passes, another generation is rising and says, well, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. Well, if it's not that bad, then the next generation is going to come and says, well, it's okay. Now, I don't have enough time to start fleshing this out and peeling everything, but let me tell you why we preach 
modesty. Paul talks about modesty and he talks about men and women and he says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Men, we don't get hammered on outward holiness. But Paul knew what men would struggle with. Wrath and doubting. Anger issues and doubting. But he says, in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. He says, in like manner, which means in modesty, in spirit. But then he says, in peril. And I, in apparel. And I know, ladies, that, that we've heard it many times that men are motivated by what they see. You've heard it as well. But, uh, uh, I, I, and, and I'm going to be blunt. I'm going to say things that other people have probably thought. But you cannot tell me a woman does not look in a mirror before she leaves. Just like you can't tell me a man doesn't look in a mirror before he leaves. We all do. We try to fix our hair. But there are some people that don't need to wear what they wear. If it's tight, it ain't right. If, if you leave nothing to the imagination, it ain't right. Man or woman. Because now they got these pants so tight and skinny, you got to near about jump out of a, off of a roof to get in, into them. I can't wear them kind of pants. I don't want to wear them kind of pants. Ladies, say it like this. If, if, if you got to constantly... Make sure your blouse is held too low. Too low. If you're constantly having to do it, I promise you there's going to be times that you forget to do it. In the presence of a man, that's not good. If you put your hand on your chest right here and you, you can't touch any cloth with your hand, too low. This is just good things that... that Safe, safeguards, okay? We preach modesty to avoid situations. Both men and women, you can control what you wear. You can control what you wear. And so I've been in services as an evangelist, and if I had someone at the altar that was brand new, I would expect them to look worldly. But it's when I'm looking at people that have been in church for 20 years and I'm asking people if they got the Holy Ghost because they look like the people that are brand new. And I've got to close my eyes just to pray with them. Let's talk about hair. Because there is an agenda. Hell wants to pull away at things saying it don't matter. This don't matter. This don't matter. Your hair matters, ladies. Men, your hair matters. It's not, it's not just, let's not get on the ladies. I'm talking about everybody. Your hair matters. 1 Corinthians 11 and 5. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, that's talking about cut hair, dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him. But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. Ladies, it does not mention anything in here about, about having long hair. It's uncut hair because we all know that everybody's hair grows at a different pace and so it's God, God would not create a standard 
a uniform standard that could not be achieved by all because how do you define long? Is it past your shoulder blades? Is it past your waist? Is it to your knees? So the standard is not have long hair. It's uncut hair. Some will say, well, I don't cut mine. I trim it. It's all the same. Because when you cut grass, it doesn't matter if you set that deck on five or you set it on two. You're cutting it. Nobody got up today and said, well, I think I'm going to go trim the grass. It's cut. If it's the same for grass, it's the same for hair. And so I, I, I dealt with a situation when I was a youth pastor. I had this, these three girls. And I noticed that their hair kept starting to look different. And usually what will happen is when they start messing with it, they'll start wearing it up a lot at the church because they don't want nobody to see. But we're not idiots. Okay? You can tell when someone's been doing something with their hair. And so finally, I just confronted them. And they said, we're not cutting it. It's burning off when we're curling it. So you're burning your hair off. Same thing. Okay? Don't think you found a loophole and say, well, if I hold the flat iron on it long enough and to where I can get it different lengths, then, then I'm not cutting it. I'm not putting no scissors on it. It's the same thing. Okay? There are, there, you can sit here and try to find loopholes all day, but it goes back to the heart. If you're going to do that, at least go get it looking halfway decent and cut it. Okay? If you're going to be wrong, be wrong. If you're going to be late, don't be five minutes late after curfew. Be an hour late after curfew. It, it, it goes back to the motive of the heart. Men, and I'm going to hit this. I don't have a scripture in that book to tell you that wearing a beard is wrong. You won't find a scripture in there that says wearing a beard will send you to hell. And there's people, as they come to God, they have beards. You know what? I'm going to love them just like everybody else. Now, I do have guidelines for leadership applicable to men and women, and I prefer that leadership does not have beards, men or women. That's a joke, okay? Because kind of got a little tense in here. And so we're not going to beat people up if they have beards. Because Jesus had a beard. Well, it says they plucked his beard. All right? And we know Jesus didn't sin. But here's where I know it's a problem. And I've seen it happen time and time again. When the heart's not right, It'll always manifest itself on the outside. And one of the first signs of someone struggling for God, for a man, they want to bow up and try to do what they know they're not supposed to do. They'll start growing a beard. I've seen it many, 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 many times. It's not about the beard. It's about the heart. There's always a spirit Associated. Now I'm talking about not people coming to God. I'm talking about people who's been living for God. And when something's not right, it usually shows up on the face. Not all the time, but a majority of the time. So I'm not going to preach a beard to send you to hell, but I will preach a wrong heart will send you to hell. And if a beard is tied in with that wrong heart, then it could be a problem. Amen? So, so that's talking about hair for men and hair for women. So we're not, we're, not, we're not just picking on women here. It's applicable, just as applicable for a man. 
believe men should be presentable, clean shaven, haircut, and uh, represent the kingdom of God to the best of our ability. Amen. I don't think I'll finish this, but it's okay because you'll hear more of it. Why do we why do we look at worldly amusements the way we do? The Bible says in Luke 8, 14, and that which fell among thorns are they which when they have heard go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. He talks about people who receive the hurt, receive the word, but what happens when they leave? They start letting other things take their attention and the word is of no value. The whole purpose of this word is for us to produce fruit. That's it. Bible says abstain from some appearance of evil. All appearance of evil. If you study out what the downfall of Billy Sunday's crusades, it was sporting events and drive-in movies. Because when you give people options, their carnal nature is going to be driven to that which pleases them, not pleases him. And we're in a day where we're battling so many opportunities outside of this church. So many things pulling for our attention. If we're not careful, we'll start giving the world all of our attention. It says It doesn't say abstain from evil. It said abstain from the very appearance of evil. My little girl was riding down the road the other day, Millie, and she said, Daddy, is there a movie, a movie place around here we can go watch a movie? And I mean, just, you know how they ask something out of nowhere. And uh, I said, well, no, not around here, baby. There's not one around here. Well, maybe we need to find one. I want to go watch one. I said, we don't do that, sugar. She said, well, why not? And I said, well, it's like this. I said, there's one door into that movie theater. I guess there's one door. I mean, never been to one, but one, one door in, one exit, one entrance going in. And I said, that theater, you could be going in there to see a cartoon. Let's just say a cartoon. I can't remember what I named. I said, but there's also all kinds of other movies going on in there. And I said, if somebody's driving by, sees you going in there, they don't know if you're going to watch the little cartoon there's nothing wrong with or watch this other movie that you shouldn't be watching. I said, so it's just best to avoid it all. Chances are you could go in there and watch Dumbo, leave, not do anything wrong, make it to heaven. But for me, little too close to the cliff. About being, about being safe between that cliff and that, and that fence. Because you know what? Let's just say you went one time. You went and saw something that was totally innocent, and you came back, and you was good. But the next time you went with some friends, and they talked you into going to watch the other. And then it starts you on a path too close to the cliff. And so it is. It's just best to avoid the whole appearance of evil. You stand with me. Why do we preach about what we've set our eyes in front of? I'll tell you why. Because the psalmist said, I'll set no wicked thing before mine eyes. You know what? He didn't have a TV. He didn't have a TV. But he learned 
a lesson with Bathsheba. You know how it started? What he saw. What he saw. Because it started a downfall in his life. And there was a day that all they had to preach against was a television. And they preached it hard. No TV, no TV, no TV. But now, I'd take a church full of people that had TVs any day. Versus a phone, an iPad, a computer. Because that TV, oh, there was things on there that wasn't appropriate. But that TV didn't do nearly as much damage as the internet has. I don't know of anybody who got a divorce over a television. I'm not saying it ain't out there. I don't know about it. But I can tell you a lot of people who got divorced over social media, over internet. So we can't preach against a device because if the Lord tarries, in fact, I don't know how many is technologically savvy, but I read this. Brother Aaron probably knows what I'm fixing to talk about. They now have, they're about $3,500, okay? They now have these glasses. They're about this big. They look like ski goggles that you can wear. And I, I might mess this up, but they're AR and VR, virtual reality, which means they can filter out things that you don't want in your world and add things that you do want in your world. I know it's crazy, but they're selling them, and they're legit because people want to be in control of their own life, things they want to see and things they don't want to see. But it's not a real world. It's a virtual world. But it's out there. So I'm sure there's something about that that I could preach against. I don't even know. I don't plan on buying a set of them. I don't even know about how all that stuff works. But I know that they're out there and people are buying them. So if we chase devices, we'll be chasing devices. I'll have a list of devices to preach against. But if we, if we just use the scripture, I'll set no wicked thing before my eyes. Then it doesn't matter if it's television, an iPad, these goggles, a computer, a phone. It's going to apply to all of them. It's going to apply to all of them because it's the principle. It's the principle. And, 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 and I know... I know what time of year it is. And I know that some people love sand for vacation. Okay, to me it's torture. But let me just tell you, and this ain't about the sand, okay? It's not about sand and water. It could be all grass somewhere. It's about what, what's around you. Probably more for men than for ladies. It's about what's around you. You got to make that covenant with your eyes that it doesn't matter where I'm at in the world, I'm going to protect myself. Amen? Amen. Let's lift our hands and thank the Lord. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. God, we want to make sure that we walk according to your perfect will and your perfect word. Lord, we want to make sure that we stay in those safe areas, understanding, God, that your desire is for holiness for all men. Let us do everything we can to please you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Take just a few moments and greet one another in Jesus' name.
in the presence of my enemies. 